0: Hello, and welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast for Saturday, April 15th. My name is Chris Salamone. I'll be your host today. Now, hopefully you've already done your taxes, but if not, well, you're already kind of too late on them. So I guess just sit back, kick up your feet, and enjoy the podcast. Then afterwards, you can panic. So as we were talking about last week, with the weekend shows, we're going to be a little bit more loose in the format, you know, kind of experiment with things and find the right tone, and eventually I'm sure we'll lock it in. But for now, as you've probably already noticed, since I'm the only one talking— There's no Ben and no Mike today. So instead, I'm joined by Will Walker from the YouTube channel, William Walker Company. Will, go ahead and say hi to the fine people.
1: Hey guys, thanks for having me on.
0: So what we're going to do today is just kind of have a one-on-one interview conversation style format, answer some of your questions, and just have a good time in general. So for those of you who aren't familiar, Will is a fellow YouTuber, woodworker, maker, and you know what? instead of having me kind of fumble my way through telling you what he is, why don't I let him tell you in his own words? So, Will, who are you and what are you doing?
1: Uh, my name is Will Walker. I am a professional photographer and woodworker. Um, Uh, So, growing up, I built houses with my dad. He's a a general contractor. So, I learned a lot about the trades there. Um, then when it was time for me to go away to become an adult, I went off to, I went off to art school, um, for photography and, uh, for the last 11 years, I've been shooting weddings and portraits and some commercial work. And then when it was time to build my own house for me and my wife, I went ahead and built a shop in the basement um, where I started filming the things that I was making because I already had my photography equipment, my photo gear. Uh, and then it just started kind of growing from there. I, I started to do videos as um, to generate local buzz. But instead, I gained an international audience with people in Great Britain and Germany and the Czech Republic. Um, so they kind of encouraged me to keep making videos, and I've been doing it for almost two years now.
0: So then you said, since you had a background in construction growing up with, um, you're with your dad's company and everything, is that how you got your initial interest in woodworking and furniture making?
1: Yeah, so my background in, in construction and my profession as a photographer were kind of married together. Um, when one of my dad's friends is a cabinet maker and has more of a fine woodworking shop, uh, I wanted to give picture frames to my clients, to my, to my photography clients. And so I asked him if he could teach me how to make picture frames. So I went over to his shop and he did uh-huh. teach me and so I started making a bunch of picture frames and then I wanted to make more, uh, a big wine rack for my wife uh, and it just, I kind of caught that bug and just kept making things and growing my skill set.
0: Nice. So then I guess that's one of the similarities that we have. If for, So for anybody who's not familiar with Will's channel, first off, go check it out. Um, And what you'll notice is that his videos are kind of similar to mine, not necessarily in the pieces that we build or like our styles exactly, but just that there's more of a kind of story element to them or like a narrative to the build. It's not like a straight tutorial, even though we do kind of talk about like, you know, here I'm cutting this and here's the reason I'm cutting it. But there's usually a little bit more of like story behind it, I guess. So that's where our similarities are. And then hearing about your background in photography is, it makes sense. Obviously when you watch your videos, they're, you know, very well shot, lots of great camera work and great angles and everything. So maybe I'm being selfish here, but I would like to talk more about like the video production side of things. And hopefully (laughs) the audience is interested in that as well. So I don't know, how do you go about filming your typical video? Like, I don't know, what's, how do you plan it out? How do you shoot it? Just kind of walk me through your process.
1: Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I'm going to add one more layer to the cake. Um so okay. as a as a teenager I was a skateboarder um, okay. and and so I watched uh, just a ton of skate videos when I wasn't actually skating myself uh and learning from that style, you know, where everything it's uh everything is edited to the rhythm of uh whatever track you're using or if there's a lot of syncopation right. that leads to, you know, a quick jumping montage and so I really li- rely heavily on that in my youth. Um, one great video was, uh, Alien Workshop's photosynthesis, which came out in the mid nineties. And if, even if you're not into skateboarding, go look it up because it's, it's just a really well put together. Um, it's a short, it's a short film basically. Um, okay. so when I go about shooting, Uh, a project first I think about what the story is for the project Mm -hmm. like the the why of why I'm building a piece uh and then try to shoot photos or sorry shoot video um try to shoot videos that kind of lends itself to the storytelling so if I find a new hardwood dealer or uh Uh, a sawmill that I didn't know about before that specializes in slabs or something like that. I'll shoot the actual journey to get the wood to kind of make it make sense instead of just like, Hey, I have this 24 inch wide piece of red Oak that, you know, just magically appeared in my shop. Yeah. Um, Just kind
0: of give some context to it.
1: Yeah. But if I have to go to, you know, the home center, I'm probably not going to film that. Um, Then after I shoot the whole project, uh, and, and I kind of leave out some certain steps because I have faith that my audience will get there. So, I don't need mm-hmm. to have five minutes right. of me sanding sand, a board. Or if I glue up, you know, one panel for something, I don't need to show all eight right. panels of the build or whatever.
0: Yeah, they can um, connect some of the dots.
1: <laughs> yeah. And uh, and I feel like that's where uh, our styles kind of mesh uh, as we uh-huh. kind of cut. We try to cut a lot of the fat. Um uh-huh. And Even though we probably I- have
0: two of like the longest format videos, it's funny we <laughs> cut some of the fat. <laughs> a lot of most people's videos, you know, like five minutes. Ours are like twelve minutes. But <laughs>
1: yeah, I guess when uh, you're
0: talking about a you know a forty hour build, twelve minutes is pretty good, though.
1: Yeah, and I, I, I've uh, I've actually gone through and edited before where I hated the edit or it the story just didn't make sense and completely yeah. trashed the whole video and started from scratch.
0: That would be heartbreaking because I know how much time can go into it. I I haven't done that exactly. I've had one video where it just wasn't, it didn't feel right. And so I redid like my, my voiceover work to it probably three times and, and kind of just like recut it. I didn't have to just throw it all away and start over though, thankfully. But man, even that was a really frustrating experience. I can't imagine just throwing a whole thing away.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm a pretty harsh critic on myself. So if Uh it's, I mean, like you know, going back to art school, if I wanted, you know, a student critique that wasn't good enough, I wanted you know my professors to be like ripping up my my prints and telling me why it was terrible. So right. I feel like that's kind of what I do when I throw a whole video away. Uh, you uh-huh. know, and I, and I don't I don't lose the the raw footage. You know, I'm just right. cutting it, but um, yeah, just the edit. Yeah, and then once I kind of have an idea where the story is going to go and how many times I messed up during the build and put that in the video. Uh, I try to decide what kind of mood I want to set with with my soundtrack. Um, Uh So so then I'll go through and try to find a Creative Commons licensed track that kind of fits that mood, which is its own special
0: challenge. (laughs) Yeah, I'd imagine that could take a while. Yeah. So then... Okay. So then you said you kind of have a story going into it. Like that's even, I guess, kind of before and during the actual build and filming, you kind of have that general story in mind. Yeah. So then you, so let's say it's all done. You got all your footage, you put your footage into premiere or whatever you're using to edit. At what point do you like to like do your narration and really put things together?
1: So I put, uh, and you and I I actually talked about this last week, um, Mm -hmm. and we go about it somewhat differently. Uh, So I actually go through and get all of my clips edited to whatever soundtrack I have Uh um, and to whatever mood I want to set. And then I see where there's room for narration and where I should just kind of stop talking. (laughs) Okay. So you
0: just kind of, while you're doing that initial buildup, you're just kind of like leaving yourself like little possibilities for spaces here and there.
1: Yeah. And sometimes okay. if there's, you know, I'll leave a shot longer than it needs to be just so I can fit in you right. know, the conversation of the piece without being totally rushed.
0: Right. And that's probably one of those things you just kind of get the feel for the more that you do it. You kind of like start editing in your head as you're shooting, like, okay, this part really only needs to be this long, but it's a good place to explain such and such.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, so that's probably closer to the more traditional way that somebody would build up that type of video, I think. So the way that I do it is kind of backwards. I don't remember exactly where I heard this, but I remember hearing somebody talk about your brain is a lot more forgiving of video than it is of audio. And so then I started thinking about it in terms of like timelines. So... If you watch a jump cut, visually, it doesn't bug you. But if there was a jump cut audibly, it does bug you like it, it jars your brain. And so that kind of gave me the mentality of doing audio first. So the way that I usually do it is I get it. You know, once I have everything filmed, got all my footage, I don't edit anything yet. And I, I just kind of watch all my footage and write down what I think I'm going to say And then I record what I'm going to say. And then I use that almost as like the blueprint for building up the video. And I find that it makes me edit a lot quicker because it's kind of like, okay, well, by looking at my footage initially, I decided what I want to talk about. And now all I need to do is put visuals to what I wanted to talk about. So that's kind of the way that I stumbled upon that. And it's really helped me edit a lot quicker. And it probably is kind of backwards compared to the way that most people would think about it.
1: No, that's a really interesting. Uh, so, I I have heard the same thing about uh, bad imagery or uh-huh. unprofessional imagery is more forgivable than bad audio. So okay. one one way that I might think about it is if you look at you know a documentary on something that happened in the '60s or an, an ongoing event, but you know you're watching this terribly old footage. Um, right. of something, you know, jarring and, you know, bad camera work from a, you know, or maybe from the eighties, you know, with a, with a actual, you know, video camera, you know, kind right. of a ho- like a home video. But if there's really well-produced narration over that, it just kind of flows through, um, right. and just adds to the story. So I'm, I'd be interested to try it your way. Uh, uh-huh. I feel like. I need so when I do my narration, it's I've I've got the whole video pretty much edited and, and cut, and then right. I just kind of see what's happening, and I kind of explain what's going on and try to add some humor in there and do
0: right doing try to some stick
1: yeah yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> working out some stand up material um yeah it's uh it it's definitely helped me like I was saying to to edit a lot quicker and then I think. I would also be interested in knowing because our videos are about the same length, usually in the outcome and probably roughly the same number of shots that end up getting used. How many, how much footage would you say you take that you end up like not using at all?
1: Oh, I, I don't use a ton. Uh, so I feel like I shoot everything from multiple Uh angles, um, or I'll shoot it not knowing if I'm going to use it or not. Uh, right. And then when I start my edit, like, I, I kind of know the starting point, the starting shot in my head, like when I shoot it, it's like, okay, that's the start of that video. So uh-huh. I'll drop that into Premiere and see how the story starts. And then I'll probably use maybe 40% of the the video that oh, I wow. shoot. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you got a lot of extra. Yeah. Yeah. See, I would say, I mean, obviously time-wise, it's like because a lot of times you just have the camera rolling and you're doing something that takes a long time and you're not going to stop to go turn the camera off. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I would say like shot wise for me, I've probably got it down to where I use 70% of the shots that I take. Oh, but wow. like when I first started, man, yeah, it was bad. It was probably like 30%. Wow. Yeah. So definitely, I think that's just one of those things that you just get better with it over time.
1: It's funny. Cause I'm trying to actually, uh, I was down in the shop, uh, and, I, my wife wanted to build something uh, down in the shop one evening. And so I said, yeah, sure. Like, let's run down to the shop and just put something together, put something together. Uh-huh. And w- with me not filming and thinking about light and camera movement yeah. and blocking and all that, I mean, we knocked the project out really quick. So Yeah, it's
0: funny. I'm you can do it try- a lot quicker when you're not wearing two hats.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I'm trying to see how if I could trim, you know, like, don't get all those shots of me sanding or applying finish or you know, uh, and see if I can just get kind of the, the big shots, you know, like shots that tell the story and then try to leave all that stuff out.
0: Yeah, that's something that, like I said, with each video, I would say I've gotten it to a little bit less, a little bit less until now I'm kind of locked in where I'm at, I think. And it's all about just kind of having that confidence of saying, okay, yes, I'm going to use this and I've got it and I don't need to go get it a a third or a fourth time because I've got my two angles that I'm going to use. And so far, I haven't had one time where I've been like, ah, I should have done that and where I've had to go back and like fake something or anything like that.
1: Uh, I actually did have to go back and, and redo a shot because the story just didn't make sense without yeah. it. And I don't know if uh-huh. I forgot to hit record or the battery went dead in the middle of the, the thing. But And it was just making a cut on a bandsaw, but it was like I had to like run down to the shop, cut the thing on the bandsaw, and then run back up and keep editing. It was
0: like- well, I guess that kind of transitions into another thing that I wanted to talk about So and and to go away from the... Product the video production type of stuff for the people who are not interested in that and get more into the woodworking and design side of things. So, for me, whenever I have run into those uh, situations, I can usually use something that's like a drawing or, you know, from my 3D model to kind of explain or to fill in those holes. So, how do you go about designing things generally? Do you sketch things out? Do you use any kind of software?
1: Uh, so, <laughs> I, I sketch things out. Um, I'm a very – and I get this from my dad uh, who, uh-huh. you know, he's a contractor. And if he was trying to explain something to, you know, on like a large scale to me or another guy that was working for him or a subcontractor, you know, he would grab a two-by-four and a contractor's pencil and just sketch out the, you know, this structure if we needed to make, you know, a right. three-foot-wide window and a wall – the actual uh-huh. construction components that would go into it. And then you went, oh, yeah, okay, got it. So right. for me, I haven't taken the time to learn SketchUp. Um, and I've, uh-huh. I used to do some stuff in Photoshop, but really it's just a, a piece of paper and a pen or a pencil. Uh, and since uh-huh. I was art school, I took perspective drawing classes. So I, I'm pretty quick about drawing a box and then filling in details later. Okay. And so if it's, say it's a media console or a bigger piece of furniture, I'll measure the space that the furniture is going to go into and kind of make that those are my constraints now. And then there are certain things that are just kind of standard heights, like cabinet heights that I've I've learned from cabinet building. So uh, a lot of people ask me for plans and I don't have them because I pretty much work from a sketch and in my head.
0: (laughs) Okay. So like, let's just let's just take a hypothetical media console then and say that's what you're working on. Mm -hmm. So you would kind of have your rough dimensions of this is how big it's going to be. How much designing would you have done before getting into the shop and how much are you doing while you're in the shop in terms of like aesthetics and that type of thing?
1: Yeah. So uh, I'll design pretty much everything and I'll run things by if it's for a client, I'll run it by them. I might give them three different sketches and say, you know, do you want a live edge top on this media console? Do you want it to be really more traditional? Uh, we'll talk uh-huh. about wood species and things like that because I rely heavily on the wood. Like I never stain anything. It's always just a uh, right. you know a top coat or, or urethane or a wiping varnish. Um, uh-huh. So if I'm designing, let's say the media consoles for my wife, I'll sketch it uh-huh. out four different ways, and then if there are certain components in in there that she wants, like, I want an open shelf to put, you know, our daughter's books on, I'll say, okay, and then she says, well, I also want a closed area, you know, that we can Mm -hmm. put DVD players or whatever. Um, So then I'll sketch it out three or four different ways with different designs, Uh, then I'll hand it to her, and she'll say, ooh, I like that one or I like that one, uh, but can we make this door more... Do we want frosted glass in the door? Do we want a shaker panel door? Do we want... Um, right full overlay door do we want an inset door uh, and then from that sketch I will figure uh, all of my lumber so say the media okay. console is six feet long uh, 30 inches deep and 34 inches tall or something like that uh, okay. then I can figure out all of my lumber costs and I can go get lumber before I even get down to the shop and, and really figure out you know okay that's the top that's the the carcass. That's the face frames. That's the door.
0: Cool. Okay. So then would you say then that like a client would have a fairly good idea of what the finished product is going to look like based off of your sketches?
1: Yeah. Fairly good. I mean, you know, uh, I'm not the best sketch artist, but I'm fairly decent at, you know, putting shapes on paper and then showing them a sample of what the wood is. So I actually bought, I just came back from my uh, hardwood dealer and picked up some Mm -hmm. black walnut for this wine display. And we've been going back and forth where I've been sending him sketches and he's been sending me, you know, different Pinterest pins and saying, can you marry these three concepts? And then I'll make a new sketch and send that to him. And and he's been saying, perfect. And then I say, okay, well, how big is the space that it's going in, you know, on this wall that it's going to go on? How much? room do I have to space, you know, these wine bottles and, and things like that. Uh, uh-huh. so he's, he, so a client would have a very good idea of, of, uh, spatial, <laughs> spatial right. awareness of a piece. Uh, right. and then, you know, I mean, every piece of wood is different, but you know, black walnut looks right. like black walnut.
0: Yeah. It's not gonna, of, yeah, of course those little details are always going to be a little bit of a mystery. Um, but so then. I guess the second part of that question would be then in your head, how well can you, by the time you're starting to build it, like you pretty much have that finished look in your head of this is what it's going to be. Or are you kind of like fine tuning design things while you're actually working on it?
1: I like to think that I have a a pretty good idea. I mean, so maybe not really big projects, but straightforward projects. I have a pretty good idea of what they're going to look like as a finished piece in my head. Uh, But there are always, there are always design changes you know, things I overlooked or, you know, the dimension, I could only get certain dimension of lumber or, you know, I wanted to do a console top in two pieces, but I couldn't get it out of those two pieces. So I had to put a piece down the middle, which changed the design a little bit, but for the most part, yeah.
0: Yeah. I would say most, for me, most of my improvising out in the shop comes as a result of um, an error, basically like, (laughs) oh man, I messed that up. So now I got to come up with some way to make it work it's it's rarely that it's rare that i go out there and i'm like i'm just gonna see what happens which i wish i did more of that it's just i don't know for some reason it just is not my natural personality to do that but to each his own i guess
1: i feel like the majority of the planning process takes up more time than the actual build itself. So I'll hem Mm -hmm. and haw over a certain way to do something, you know, whether it's the easy way or the more traditional fine woodworking way, or, you know, the the way that's going to take more skill, but I think will ultimately look better in the end. And then when I actually make the first cut or, you know, I start the milling process then it's like, okay, well now everything just kind of falls into the natural order of this has to happen. then this has to happen. Then this has to happen.
0: And right. So then would you say when you're, when you're making a piece, then it, do you make compromises? Cause, because you're making it for a video where you're like trying to cut corners or anything, or are you, are you pretty much thinking of it as a woodworker first? And this is what I would do if I was just trying to build the best piece and I wasn't filming it at all. How do so, you, how do you balance that? So I feel like it's actually
1: the opposite. So if I'm not making a video, I might cut more corners. Um, okay. Because I don't. So it's
0: like keeping you honest, kind of. You don't want yeah. the Monday morning quarterbacking.
1: Yeah, exactly. So if it's like a, a really simple piece, I might use pocket hole screws just because I have a pocket hole jig and it gets things done fast. But if it's for uh-huh. a video, I might actually, you know, try hand cut dovetails or do box joints or uh, splined miters or right, you know, something that's yeah. Gonna I guess it
0: all. It all just kind of depends on like what your niche is and and who your audience is and what they want to watch. For me, because I work full time and then trying to balance that along with you know I know you have a kid and a wife, so you know how much time that takes. Trying to balance all those things, I find that I cut corners more. Like when I was producing things for clients you know, obviously I never cut any corners. It was, you know, I would spend a lot of time on little details that now I know like, you know what, that little detail is not going to translate into the video. So I'm just not going to worry about it. So it's funny because I feel like all of the stuff I have now is stuff that I'm, you know, the main purpose is I'm making a video about it. So there, it's not, you know, the best piece because of that. And then prior to that, it was all my like prototype stuff or early stuff when I didn't, you know, just kind of testing out techniques. So all the stuff at my house, it's like my worst hits collection in terms of manual in terms of like technical skills Uh, that's funny yeah maybe someday when i'm like you know when there's no reason to build something except to build it for myself then then i'll get to spend that time but i don't i don't see it happening anytime soon unfortunately (laughs) or maybe fortunately i'll say fortunately i feel like i feel better
1: i feel like my audience is uh When I put a video out and I include the mistakes and the workarounds and how I fix them, I feel like those videos always do so much better, and people really appreciate it. To make you know, bring me down to you know, I'm not just makes it more real. Yeah, and so because I
0: think yeah, a lot of people can get down on themselves because pretty much every project you're going to have some kind of little mess ups unless you've like you know you're building it for the tenth time and you just have it down pat, but if it's the first time you're doing something, which, you know, in pretty much all of your builds, you've done those techniques before, but they haven't all come together to build this exact piece before. So there's going to be just like little things that you didn't account for or that go wrong or you're trying something new for the first time.
1: Yeah. Or, you know, my walnut explodes when I'm building it. Right. <laughs> yeah. People like Use that Poplar. video. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. I think we all kind of deal with that the same way. But um, so here, let's let's do some uh, let's do some. Listener questions. So I had a couple people write in some questions that we can both try answering these. So okay. we'll start off with Alan Canterbury. That's a like auth- an author sounding name. This guy should be writing books, not yeah. writing messages to a podcast. but anyway, Alan. So he says, I'd love to hear about your approaches to selecting projects for videos. That's kind of what we were talking about right now. Do you choose projects based on what you're doing in your regular flow of work? Or do you select projects specifically to present to a targeted YouTube audience? So I don't know if you want to go first or if you want, I can go and you can think about it.
1: Uh, why don't you go first?
0: Okay. So for me, I guess it's a mix of both. So one of the major dictators, dictators, that's a weird way to put it. One of the major things that would dictate what I build would be off of necessity. So especially in the beginning, you know, there was just a lot of different things that I wanted to have or that we needed. So that would kind of dictate what I was building. I think as I've gone on more and what will probably continue to happen, or at least what I found is that the kind of weirder things do better. If you build a nice small piece, at least in my experience, it just it doesn't get that much attention usually, but if I build either a large scale project, that'll do good. Or um, just something that's kind of weird, like the one legged table that I put out, you know, it's weird to look at that thumbnail. So people click on it. And so that tends to work better for me. So I I kind of build with that in mind now is what's going to make for a good video. So actually I kind of talked about this on the podcast before a couple weeks ago, but you know, I still take on client work sometimes. So I was working with a client recently Um, for the record player cabinet that I'm building and it it got to the point where I could take on the job and make you know a pretty good check building this piece for him but I thought you know what this is not going to make for an interesting video like I'm doing kind of stuff that I've already done before I'm not particularly proud of the way that this piece looks I'm not really learning anything new doing it so it wasn't checking any of those boxes for me and then I also thought it wasn't going to make for the most interesting video. So I felt like the only reason I'm doing this build is going to be to get the paycheck from the client. And that's not my business model anymore. And I don't, I didn't want to do it. I mean, if it was an insane amount, obviously I would do it because I just couldn't make a, a, couldn't come up with a logical reason not to, but it wasn't that much money. So I, I think I very much now at this point think what makes for a cool video first. And that's kind of my way of approaching them.
1: Yeah. So kind of like we were talking about before, where I'm very story driven, if mm-hmm. I, I'm very aware of myself and not making the same video over and over again. So if I've already yeah. done one style of video or, or a video on this project, I don't want everything to be, you know, oh, well, yeah, that's me cutting stuff on a table saw and then putting it all together. Right. Um, so if there's time constraints too, so this wine display might be a cool video, but I've got a deadline on it because it's for a client for their, an anniversary present. Um,
0: okay.
1: So yeah, I might start to film it and then I'll probably kind of panic about finishing the project. So I'll just put the camera down and not film it. Uh, but I like commission work. I'll only take commissions if I find the project to be interesting or if there's enough room for a profit. Because a lot of one off projects, you know, they take time in designing and sourcing materials, and then your client only has so much of a budget. And right. it's kind of like, well, I'd be more like me doing you a favor, and it's right. not really worth my time other than to make a video, I guess. So, yeah, if I'm doing a video, I found that projects that I make for my daughter are my most popular, or big projects, like the Rubo workbench that I'm building, um, uh-huh. and my smaller projects are in there because I had to sharpen a chisel and thought, you know, when I was just learning woodworking, there wasn't enough resources out there, oh, so I'll make a video on how to sharpen a chisel, um, right. and that, then that might help somebody, but it's not going to be one of my big my big hitting right. videos. Um, but I'll yeah, them I mean, in I there- think-
0: in general, those are kind of the things that people click on is either it's something that's crazy that they've never seen before, or it's something that they want to get information from or right. learn from. So those are kind of like the two ways to approach it. But let's do a, let's do another user submitted or listener submitted question. So this one comes in from Brian Ward and it says, you guys always talk. So I think he's talking about normally, but let's just say me and me and Will, we're always talking about this. We're always <laughs> talking about, um, new things that we would like to learn. What about one thing that you would like to unlearn? So he used an analogy. He says, in jazz, they say you must learn everything about music and then forget it all. So something that you would like to unlearn. So for me, I think that would be, I don't know if this is a learned thing, but just kind of my general approach to a project. Again, to go back to something we were talking about, and that's You mentioned how much time is spent planning a project compared to building it. I'm very much the same way where I really plan stuff out and kind of know what I'm getting into by the time I get out into the shop, which is a good thing. But I think that it's kind of a double edged sword where it would be nice to go out there and do a little bit more experimenting actually on the fly. So that would be something that I would like to, I guess, not unlearn, but just uninstill in myself is whatever part of me wants to have everything planned out and controlled and to be able to go out there and just make it like jazz, I
1: guess. (laughs) Uh, For me, uh, I think I would like to unlearn the mentality of, you know, the perfect way to do something. Um, Uh So like I was just visiting Kyle Toth uh, while I was Mm -hmm. out in California and Kyle's approach to things is really pretty awesome to me so he was teaching me how to make segmented bowls and do segmented turning and i've never tried segmented turning because i've always been worried about you know setting up the jigs to you know make the different segments and kyle just puts a mark on his on his miter saw and just cuts all of his pieces you know if he's got to cut 2000 pieces he just goes and cuts it um Uh so i think to unlearn you know the 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 best way to do something or, and just getting it done, like just getting in the shop to, to get it done.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. I think that's one of the things is, um, there's definitely more than one way to skin a cat in most instances instances. And, uh, that's one of the good things about being able to get out in the shop and experiment, which I don't get to do enough. Unfortunately is you can kind of play around with different techniques and see what works for you. So, you know, maybe it's not the way that you read about that either intimidates you or you don't quite understand it because, you know, you haven't done it before and a lot of learning takes place by actually doing instead of just reading and and watching. Um, You can kind of find those weird things that maybe it's just more intuitive and maybe it's not as perfect, but it just works for you and it works good enough. So yeah, being able to kind of find those techniques and then use them and not, have to worry about what's right or what's the best.
1: Sure. And I've learned more from screwing up than I've ever learned from doing it right.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. I think that was, I I don't remember who said it, but they made the point that like, as you get better at woodworking, you'll still make mistakes, but you just get better at recovering from those mistakes and hiding them. And I found that to be extremely true. Like every project I work on has mistakes this last one in particular has had an insane amount of stupid mistakes and careless mistakes that I've made, but the end result, you only all be able to tell or, you know, the viewers depending on what makes it to the video and what doesn't. But, um, yeah, it's all just kind of how you end up recovering from those mistakes.
1: I've gotten really good at putting butterflies in pieces. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's the woods fault. That's not your fault. That's right. You can blame mother nature for that one. <laughs> All right. So I guess this is a good place to kind of start wrapping it up. One thing that we always like to do, um, you know, for people who maybe haven't checked out any of your videos yet, what's, what do you think is a good video for people to watch as kind of an introduction to you or maybe a a video that you're particularly proud of?
1: Uh, I built a learning tower for my daughter, Morgan, uh, and that is Uh one of my favorite videos, not the actual build process. And if you watch the video, you'll understand why. Uh, but it was one of my favorite videos to put together after the project was done. Cause it was kind of a marathon project where everything just kind of kept going wrong. And I got to add a lot of humor, uh, uh-huh. and resilience. So that the learning tower video, um, it also might be called a kitchen stool. I might've changed the name okay, of the video, yeah, yeah. but yeah.
0: Yeah. I was going to say learning. tower. I didn't know what you were talking about first, but then as you said, I was like thinking, is that like the big, it's almost like a. It's almost like one of those ladder, like a small version of one of those ladders they have at like Home Depot. Yeah. That you can wheel around.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> there
0: you go. Call it the toddler Home Depot ladder. <laughs> okay. So everybody go check out that video. And, you know, if you're not familiar with them, and especially if you like the kind of stuff that I do, definitely go check out Will's channel. I think you'll definitely enjoy his, his uh, builds. Oh, thanks, man. All right. Well, I think that's as good of a place as any to call today. So just as a, one more reminder, if you haven't seen Will's channel before, go check him out. Probably the easiest way to find it is just go to YouTube and type in WM period Walker co period. So CO period. It'll probably come up if you put in William Walker company or anything like that. But just so you know, you found the right guy. It's a little kind of burgundy circle with a planer and it says WM company WM Walker company. As a final reminder, don't forget to follow Modern Maker Podcast on Instagram. That's where we post pictures of everything that we talk about. And if you have questions, head over to our website at modernmakerpodcast.com, and you can write to us or submit a voice memo in our contact form. And if it's a good one, we'll read it or play it during the show. So for me, Will, Ben, and Mike, thank you for listening. Have a great rest of the weekend, and we'll see you on Thursday.